We are continuing this series of commentaries on current issues uh, affecting the earth and quite often my commentary is to pick up on what is going on in the United States. Uh, but we're not limited in the scope of review to what's happening in the United States. And it's not about just offering an opinion, uh, a different way of looking at the same thing. The, the, the present marketplace abounds with ideas. Everybody has an opinion. The intent of my commentary is to provide healing, to provide um, understanding, to provide God's way of viewing these things. Because the tragic reality is that virtually all the voices in the nation's ecclesiastical church circles have gone silent. In the evangelical church, they've gone silent because they're compromised. They took a position relative to the political divide and have been essentially rendered, um, have been neutralized. No one particularly wants to hear uh, what uh, the church has to say about current issues and the church is frankly not offering any, any useful perspective at this time. What it, what it is doing is it's continuing to, to trumpet the same messages. The, the house is burning, a different analogy, the ship is sinking and they're still fiddling or they're still uh, relaxing on deck chairs on a doomed liner. Nobody, uh, because of this compromising, by taking a political uh, posture, political position, uh, they can only now speak to those who agree with those positions. No pretense can be made that the current church is the light of the world. And as I've said before, the Roman church is mired in the consequences of its wicked, perverse, and not surprisingly self-destructive ways. But the earth needs to hear the sound of God. The hope of mankind can never arise out of the collective wisdom of the governed, nor are ways to be determined by the consent of the governed. Scriptures are very plain, they say, O Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his own steps. And the reason is, the wisdom of man begins and ends with his ability to observe and theorize the natural world. The world itself was created, the natural world was created to give place and to reflect the existence of a sovereign God and in particular because the earth uh, was constructed to show who God is, everything in the earth in order to function correctly 
needs to be connected and to stay connected to God. And that connection is just about severed in the present time because those who are charged with maintaining that connectedness have largely devolved into uh, devouring resources like pigs at a sty, pigs at a, a trough. They have no, uh, no eternal view left. And that's why the church has no relevance in the world today. And some even go so far as to declare that we're now in a post-Christian era. Nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, it's laughable because they're conflating uh, being a Christian with an, and, and being a follower of Christ with uh, the polity of discredited religious institutions. Christ remains Christ. Religious institutions are simply concluding their life cycles Many of them were conceived in error and in foolishness. And so their, their life cycles were determined by the folly of their early decisions. And such, such a thing cannot be denied. But that said, it leaves a vacuum. And that vacuum must be filled with the truth, with what is true. What is true is not merely recirculating the stale, trite, banal uh, understandings of church. It has to be a reflection of what God is saying. And in the earth there have to be voices that are speaking for God, not for religion, not politically, religiously motivated voices not self-seeking uh, groups, but authentic voices speaking the Word of God. And I believe that this sweeping clean of the leadership that represented this compromised view is a first step in hailing and heralding the coming forth of those who have not been compromised. One of the troubling developments is the pitting of men against women and now women against men in the current season. It appears that every form of human division is now coming forth, bursting forth on the national scene and around the world. There's an uptick in nationalism. Uh, the fear of strangers has become, uh, has translated itself into national politics. Here in the United States, in Europe, in Asia, all over. Now this has been going on a long time, but now, and it, but it has been held on the margins, but now it's come front and center. The clash amongst the races not just strangers, but the clash of races is also sometimes a preeminent, sometimes a subtext of this form, this virulent form of division.
it has long been economically the, the poor versus the rich or the rich versus the poor. Politically, it has been the powerful versus the disenfranchised. All these things have been the measures of division amongst the nation. More recently, it has become uh, the young people against the older people. These sharp divisions, a thing that has largely been fostered by technology, um, where wisdom is discarded in favor of information, or indeed wisdom is perceived to be information. Perhaps the latest iteration of this growing drift uh, that represents the, the many divisions now, deep, profound divisions among human beings, is focused in something called the Me Too movement, which is essentially a statement by women who have been sexually assaulted, raped, uh, abused in various ways by powerful people, but of course not exclusively powerful people. And we're seeing the spread of this. It started primarily in the entertainment industry. Um, it's now spreading to uh, the political arena. It has been spreading in the economic arena. And soon enough, it will be uh, it will be in the church arena as well, as all of the attempts to hold the truth back in these areas uh, are giving way. Reminds me of a, a poem by W. B. Yeats, an Irish poet. It's called The Second Coming. And it begins with the memorable lines, turning, turning in a widening gyra, the Gaelic for circle, turning, turning in a widening gyra, the falcon cannot hear the falconer. Things fall apart, the center cannot hold. And in a cryptic line, he says, uh, some rough beast whose time come round at last is lumbering to Bethlehem to be born. Uh, a, a, a sense of the anti-Messiah, the anti-Christ. The gyra, the, the circle. The picture is that of a falcon who is soaring, un untethered to the voice of the falconer, meaning things are, and as he said, things are falling apart and the center cannot hold. Some theorize that this is just an upheaval that the earth is going through at the present time, but it'll settle down. Others are worried that there will be such a total meltdown that there will be nothing 
left to salvage. I would rather say that we are going through a process that, that is described in the scriptures as birth pangs upon a pregnant woman. Something is about to be born. But it's not as, uh, it's not entirely as Yeats prophesied, a rough beast lumbering or slouching toward Bethlehem to be born, a type of the Antichrist. That certainly is one of the happenings. But I think what is more potent is what is about to come forth on the earth is a thing never seen before but the very thing for which the earth itself was created, which was to host and to display the glory of God in the person of Christ, the many-membered man who will be manifested in the earth at the end of the age in the form of a mature expression of Christ. The, what a thing in the scriptures that is called the body of Christ. The, the interloper is being discredited. The thing that asserted itself in the place of Christ is being thrown to the side. It's a harlot according to Revelation the 17th chapter. It's a harlot, a pretended bride, a harlot who sells herself for the power and resources that those to whom she sells herself might, might, uh, uh, they might reward her with those accoutrements because that's what, uh, what they have. They have a fee for the services of a prostitute. <coughs> Pardon me, no one ought to confuse this unclean entity with the true bride of Christ. The body of Christ is also described as the bride of Christ. But she, through many trials, will have made herself ready. And these are the trials that distinguish between who represents Christ in the earth today and who has been compromised by the seduction of wealth and power. Now there are ways in which this true body will be both seen and recognized. She is to carry the glory of Christ which is his compassion and his mercy, his offering to mankind of the higher order of being that comes from heaven. I was reminded recently in reading the book of John in the 11th chapter of the story of how Jesus went to see Martha and Mary, the sisters of Lazarus. It was the occasion in which Lazarus had died and had been buried for four days. When he arrived, and he arrived with the intention of raising Lazarus from the dead, 
it was altogether apparent to him throughout the whole process that uh, Lazarus would die. In fact, he told his disciples so. But he refused to go prior to his death. His intent was not to save him from dying. He had a greater intent. It was to resurrect him from the dead. When he showed up, Mary and Martha uh, were beside themselves with grief. And one of the sisters said to Jesus, Lord, if you were here, our brother would not have died. And Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whoever lives in me and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And so they said, well, we believe that he'll be resurrected at the end of the age. But Jesus, when he saw their grief, when he saw their sore distress, the Bible says, Jesus wept. And the people said, see how he loved him. It would seem like an oddity that he had come to raise him from the dead, and yet he would weep. Well, before we minister to others, we must identify with their condition. That's why Jesus came into the earth. I'm not saying that we have to experience the same things they experience, but we should at least connect to how they feel, how they feel. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life, and that's true. He came to bring life, and this would be an occasion whereupon he would demonstrate that he had come to rescue men and women from, and when I say men, I, I typically mean humankind, that he would come to rescue humans from the consequences of sin. But in that moment, before he would do this remarkable work, this incredible demonstration in the natural of the eternal reality. He entered into the condition that he met. We, you see, have a high priest. He is a high priest who is touched by the feelings of our infirmities. So before he did this extraordinary miracle, he understood perfectly the context in which he was about to minister. And out of love for Mary, Martha and Lazarus, out of love for them, he restored their brother to them from the dead. But what I'm saying is, the true body of Christ carries his compassion, carries his mercy. It's not just that we wring our hands helplessly and wonder what might be done to rectify the situation. No, quite the opposite. Even though we have come to administer life, the authenticity of our ministry must be established 
in and through our compassion for the world around us. One of the things we have noted is that the structure of rule in this nation is coming undone because those who have had authority have routinely ruled for their own benefit and for the benefit of those of their own ilk. And historically in this nation, this form of rule has primarily benefited one class of people, the wealthy and the powerful, they are in one class. And the church has gravitated toward this, um, this power base. It started in the 50s when notable evangelists began to vie for the favor of the wealthy and the powerful <clears throat> and continued to do so in various iterations of the same thing until eventually the, po the political power of, this, of the church began to be courted, began to become so attractive to political entities, political parties, that they were offered a seat at the table in exchange for one of the most precious things that it has, the ability to demonstrate or to project the love of Christ. And by now, it's simply a callous participant in the form of rule that has made whatever ministry pretensions it has of no effect. This move has negated the move toward the political arena and now its firm seating in the political arena has negated any pretense at being representatives of Christ and any potential to preach a gospel of the, of the love of God to a nation. We do not see, strangely enough, we do not see the church coming forward to show its compassion in any of the situations I defined, whether it's in racism, the division amongst the races, we don't see the church present in that. In fact, the church has historically been the missing person in any debate on race in the nation. We don't see the church taking any kind of stance in regards to uh, the love of God for, quote, the stranger within the gates. We in fact have largely tossed off the idea uh, that any of these people have a place amongst uh, the nation. Now, you know, I, I understand nationalists standing for their view of what ought to be. I understand that. But let's not confuse that with being a believer. 
a believer has a different point of view. The same thing is true of the Me Too movement. Women have been historically marginalized, women have been historically abused, women have been historically kept out of uh, the political arena, women have been historically denied justice. I'm not saying in every case, and I'm surely not saying that in every case of an accusation, the woman is in, in inherently the wronged party. No, that would, be, that would be just as wrong. But what is not deniable is that the structure of the nation and around the world has marginalized women and relegated them to positions of silence. The word of a woman has not been viewed as having the same weight as the word of, as the word of a man. These things are simply true. They're true. And the, the church that should have been the pillar and the ground of the truth has been absent from every one of these fights. So it's no surprise that it now has come to the place of taking a seat at the table of the, of the very system that has produced these results. You know, it's not rocket science. Anyone can see that the future of the evangelical gospel is grim. There's really no, no, no audience that wants to hear it. The good news, however, is that the evangelical gospel is not the whole gospel. The whole gospel is the gospel of the kingdom. It's not a gospel that's limited to that portion of it, though true, it's not the whole gospel. It's not about going to heaven when you die. If you're in Christ, you will go to heaven when you die, but that's not the whole gospel. That's a portion of it. The whole gospel is how a people demonstrate righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And that gospel, ladies and gentlemen, is called the gospel of the kingdom. I frankly do not lament the demise of that which held up a partial gospel and that which now is being cast aside even as it has cast aside the true gospel. It's simply making way. This is one of the things that can be shaken, that is being shaken, to make room for the appearing of the kingdom of God in a greater way in the earth. God bless you. I know these are challenging messages. I'll see you next time. I'm Sam Solon.